Arthur Elliot, where science meets the unexpected, where we delve deep into the mysteries that straddle the line between scientific inquiry and paranormal. Get ready for a mind-altering journey as we embark on this phenomenal discovery together on United Public Radio Network 107.7 FM. We're live. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are broadcasting live here on the United Public Radio Network 105.3 and 107.7 FM from beautiful New Orleans. And we are your hosts. I'm Dr. Yana, and this is handsome Dr. Elliot, and uh, we're your hosts on the science and the paranormal, where we are working to unravel the enigmas that have puzzled humanity for centuries. We will be speaking with experts, researchers, and eyewitnesses who have firsthand knowledge with the unexplained. And together, we will explore the intersection of science, skepticism, and supernatural. Whether you're a believer in the paranormal or a long-standing skeptic, this podcast is your invitation into an exploration of the unknown alongside us. Today, we have an amazing special guest. She's a clinical psychologist, Dr. Sherry Punch, and we will be discussing paranormal through cognitive processes, perception, memory, and suggestion. Let's welcome Dr. Sherry Punch. Dr. Sherry Punch, welcome to Science and the Paranormal. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. This is so incredible. We're going to be talking about the connection between the paranormal and actually the cognitive processes, whether we uh, um, perceive everything correctly or probably the mind is playing some tricks on us. Let's talk about it. Indeed, let's unravel the unexplained. Unexplained, that's right, that's right. So Dr. Sherry, I know that as a clinical psychologist that you worked um, with memory and perception uh, what can you tell us about uh, the role of memory in the cognitive processes pertaining to the understanding of some paranormal processes or anything that is unexplained? Well, I think when we think of cognition, we think of perception or perception is a big um, factor in cognition. And what we see, our perception is our five senses. It's uh, how we interpret reality how we see the world, how our environment affects us. Um, Cognition is the process of learning, knowing, acquiring information. It's our conscious awareness. With regard to memory, memory is a little diving a little bit beneath the surface. You get more into the subconscious mind, the unconscious. Maybe on, I would say, I'd suggest talking about false memories with the paranormal. And how is that influenced by cognition? What do you suggest? That's true. The the false memories we um, can ask Dr. Elliot because he had uh, several cases uh, that would involve false memories, if I remember correctly. 
Right, Dr. Elliot? Well, yeah, memory memory's a funny thing. I, I always say that it starts to degrade as soon as uh, you've perceived the situation. Um, for example, in our uh, police cadet training, um, they actually do a scenario in the classroom where an instructor will come in wearing a certain outfit and he will say certain things. It's very short. It's about 30 seconds. He'll leave the, the classroom. And then you have all 32 cadets write down what they thought the instructor was wearing and also uh, what he said. And you'll actually get almost 32 different versions of what people saw and witnessed, especially when it happened so fast and so spontaneous. Um, and unfortunately, in paranormal work, things are usually spontaneous and they do happen fast. So it's, it's very similar. So you might get multiple different witnesses that are telling you uh, different stories and they're not necessarily lying to you. Uh, you know, they, they certainly believe that their story and, and that is what they perceived. Um, so it's definitely something um, that you have to have to be cognizant of when doing uh, paranormal investigations, as well as interviewing them separately. Um, you know, I know it can be it can be tough when we usually get contacted to do an investigation. Uh, we'll do an initial interview and depending on the distance, um, we'll try and do it over Zoom because I believe audio video is, is your best evidence. You also pick up on uh, body language and uh, cues and things like that that you might not necessarily get over the phone. But I, I find interviewing the complainant or the person that has contacted you with their issue, once they're telling the story, you always hear somebody in the background chime in. So they're not necessarily alone and they're kind of getting feedback from other people as well. So you have to be really cognizant of that when you're interviewing people. Um, there's a lot of different things that can affect the quality of the, the data that you're collecting. Yeah, and uh, we will be speaking about the suggestibility, of course. Because perhaps confirmation. Do, and confirmation bias, yes, but with the suggestibility, it is such a uh, interesting field that we don't even notice how it happens to us through a normal everyday basis. So day to day we go really unaware of what is happening to us and what is affecting our perception. And we have our preferences, uh, for example, affected by what we see and hear by the societal norms, because people from different societies, they have different predispositions. See how uh, just the, the society, the news and media, how they affect us in our decision making. So with the suggestibility, for example, and there is a crowd effect as well. Like if somebody saw something, um, there was a study done uh, with the, the key bending um, situation where people who saw that there were two groups uh, of this um, um, research. So one group was actually witnessing the uh the metal key being bent and at the same time there were lots of people around speaking and saying oh yes i did i saw he's so magnificent he's just a magician uh having such incredible uh powers that we don't have 
And people hearing that really believed uh, uh, that uh, the key was being bent by the power of suggestion, by the power of the mind, versus the second group that uh, was viewing that uh, through the video. And they also saw the same thing, the key being bent. But at the same time, there were skeptics in the room telling them, oh, it is not possible. It's uh, just a trick. And they had they were less gullible and they were less willing to believe that this is an actual thing what they're seeing so uh where is the reality so when it gets for example to uh going to the fields of investigation uh dr elliot right so when we go there we see okay what is real and what is not what has been affecting by the crowd or the, for the by the previous history of the place correct or what has not been and you mentioned uh, the interview process. Uh, in the interview process, where you we're always warned against leading questions because leading que questions can already plant an answer into the person's mind the, that is going to be suitable for the person who is asking that question. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Um, certainly, it, it it could create a bias if you ask uh, you know leading questions. Um, there's also cognitive uh, bias as well that, that uh, you'd have to be concerned about. But uh, Dr. Punch, with memory, the way memory works um, is that they're not necessarily static. And each time somebody recalls a memory, you can possibly build upon that story. So in your opinion, what do you think is kind of your best window to obtain the purest version statement from somebody when you're when you're conducting you know a field investigation in the paranormal i actually don't work in the paranormal i work more uh, with uh, psychology so this is um more of my questions will be to you with regard to the paranormal however i will answer your question and say um i believe that memory is a subjective experience it's based on the person's experience if you were to ask certain questions, if there is a confirmation bias there or a cognitive bias there, based on that person's existing beliefs or what they believe they've seen, that's what they're going to interp based on, interpret based on their percep perception or their altered state of perception. Um, perhaps using some hypnosis, uh, a therapeutic hypnosis may allow somebody to tap into the subconscious mind, perhaps to bring up memories. Does that answer your question? Yeah, we no. Doctor Elliot, I'm sorry to interrupt you. We're forgetting to say that Doctor Punch is actually joining us from Louisiana, from the New Orleans area. So <laughs> this is so interesting, and she was talking to me, in fact, just recently about the cemeteries. And again, we can talk about the cognitive bias of that uh, cemetery that is New Orleans, and where all. Um, those famous, um, what are they called, um, Dr. Sherry, what are they called? Um, Crips? Mi mystic people are buried, the ones that have been working um, in oh, the yes. field of magic, I guess. I forget what the priestesses, I guess, right? So where oh, are they yeah. buried? Would, would, that's right. I, how could I forget that word? So what happens is that, that when... I saw what I was several years back, uh, right after the flooding. Um, I remember there were so many people going to cemeteries and actually 
putting the um, little notes with their wishes at the cemetery, right near the grave of, a, of the deceased person. So what is that? Is this the mass psychosis? Is this the mass understanding of uh, uh, some false belief? What is it? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you, Dr. Sherry, yes. Okay. So, so what do you think? What is, what is your understanding of that? My understanding would be some kind of a connection. I think you have skeptics and believers in the paranormal. Uh, I believe it's a way to connect. It could um, somehow transforming your cognitive beliefs beyond reality, feeling like there's something beyond that you're seeing that will able enable you to be connected to this entity that is actually no longer here. It's buried. So there's a deeper belief, I would say. And of course, what the, we would think that um, uh, those people probably don't know what they're doing. And we can, as psychologists, we can interpret that from the uh, point of view of the cognitive bias uh, and uh, uh, just completely dis disregard their own personal experiences, but at the same time, uh, they believe. This is their belief, and this is the unknown for them as well, but what they know is that that person is capable of fulfilling their wishes. Indeed, I think anyone who has a feeling with a paranormal that's beyond what we can explain or unravel, I do believe it's subjective, and I find it really, um, discouraging to argue against someone's subjective subjective belief because i don't think it's our judgment to tell whether or not someone's actually seeing or feeling or sensing or tasting or hearing or comprehending what they truly are however as you spoke earlier in the program it's like is it a part of the cognition is it really just in the mind is it beyond us with outside of us or is it all really just inside Exactly. And the, with the phenomenological study, we study all of those uh, interesting experiences uh, that uh, have the reflection in our hearts and our minds as well. So for those people, perhaps this is uh, an authentic belief and something that uh, they can uh, uh, use on an everyday basis to help themselves, to help their psychological health, emotional health, and even physical health, <laughs> believing that uh, that person uh, who is deceased is going to help them from the other side. Perhaps a superstition? So, uh, that's uh, that's a, a very interesting concept, the super, superstition. Yeah, but superstitions, they don't uh, come from the thin air, correct? There's something stands behind bit okay yeah so um all right this is so interesting i was actually um also thinking that while memory plays such a huge role in our understanding and the perception process of the reality uh there can actually be some different um variance on understanding or even perceiving the reality differently uh, with an altered state of perception. Like, for example, uh, a lot of the times uh, people can sense uh, electromagnetic fields. And uh, the majority of us, of course, we don't feel that uh, exactly, but uh, some of us who are very sensitive to it can feel the electromagnetic fields and some areas, uh, allegedly uh, um, haunted places, 
they have higher electromagnetic fields that they are situated on some um, uh, areas that have the electromagnetic fields that uh, are so distinct from other areas uh, and uh, by being present in those places uh, they can hear voices they can see apparitions and for them it becomes a reality while another person who is not so sensitive is going to get into that house home that supposedly house uh, will not feel anything in that regard so dr elliot have you had that in your practice uh yeah we have actually uh, there was a, a case that uh, my colleague Dr. Daryl Walsh had where um, an individual was experiencing a haunting in their bedroom, usually late at night while they were asleep. So they were kind of in between the, the sleep-wake states. And um, upon investigation, of course, when you come in and conduct a scientific uh, investigation of a location that's allegedly haunted, you know, one of the things that you look for are uh, electromagnetic field radiation disturbances and what he had noticed in this particular investigation was uh, there was an old alarm clock from like the 1960s or 1970s that was unshielded and was giving off excessive amounts of electromagnetic radiation and uh, we've uh, we've had some uh, studies done in laboratories uh, by the work of Dr. Michael Persinger up in uh, Laurentian uh, University in Ontario. And uh, he found that by stimulating the temporal lobes in the brain, uh, which are located uh, just around where your ears are, uh, once it hit a certain level of uh, magnetism, individuals would start to experience haunting characteristics. They'd, they'd uh, feel uh, the feeling that they're being watched. Uh, they would start to see apparitions. So of, of course, the people that are experiencing this environmental effect are perceiving it normally because that's what they are perceiving. And of course, their their brain is recording that information uh, properly, but it's not necessarily paranormal phenomena that's causing it. it. It's more an environmental factor. So in this particular case, once that alarm clock was removed and replaced with a more modern current alarm clock, Ironically, the uh, uh, apparition stopped appearing to this individual late at night, um, which, you know, kind of goes to support Dr. Michael Persinger's work about uh, geomagnetic and uh, electromagnetic field radiation uh, affecting the temporal lobe and causing people to perceive apparitions. Um, so that is something that you have to be cognizant of when you're conducting investigations, for sure. And again to that individual when you're interviewing them um you know they think that that was uh, a real experience because to them it was a real experience that's what they were perceiving and, and that's what you know their memory encoded um but it's not necessarily paranormal it can be environmental as well in that i think that it is very important to keep in mind that uh, this uh, is a natural occurrence and now especially at this time when the sun uh, has reached its peak um, of uh, um, activity and electromagnetic fields are going crazy on Earth once the uh, with the solar wind uh, and also with the solar flares that it, when they finally reach the surface of the Earth. But there is disturbance if we can get the radio blackouts 
and electricity blackouts. Imagine how that affects the human body. And those mm. people who are sensitive, they, of course, will be affected by that. And they will be experiencing more of uh, those events than probably in the times without the electromagnetic activity, heightened electromagnetic activity of the sun on Earth. I, for example, know I can even sense it when uh, um, the sun uh, uh, has this spot for example, that the when we have a solar flare, when the, the electromagnetic field is disturbed here on Earth, I can sense it and I feel really bad. And I, of course, uh, and I check it and sure enough, uh, uh, there is a disturbance. Uh, and um, for me, I don't see anything per se, but my reality, my perception of the reality is changed. And the way I hear things, the way I perceive things are different. It's as if being in some sort of um, dissociative state. So it is possible that uh, um, things like that could also cause uh, uh, alter perception. And they do not necessarily have to be uh, subjected to hypnosis, for example, or uh, anything else for that regard. So with a natural occurrence, we have to understand that sometimes being skeptical can actually bring us more answers than not. And of course, I'm not disregarding the true haunting experiences, of course, and uh, perceptions uh, that are not related to electromagnetic ma magnetic, um, uh, activity. Um, but uh, we have to be really cognizant of what is happening and try to find the answers uh, through the uh, scientific means. Um, for example, you and I, Dr. Elliot, was spoken about the carbon monoxide poisoning. That is also very uh, important because uh, just recently our neighbors uh, said that there was a leak of gas. And uh, if we didn't know, for example, about it, uh, some people would be, uh, if they were poisoned to a certain degree, they would be also could be experiencing some hallucinations and audio uh, disturbances. So. It is an easy yeah. thing uh, in our present world. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. For sure. That. That. That's accurate. Um, Doctor. Doctor Punch, what's your experience with uh, how people experience things under emotional stress, and how the cognitive process works when somebody's experiencing, you know, stress that you know, a lot of haunting situations can be very stressful for some people. So if somebody's experiencing, you know, stress, how does that affect memory and cognition? Um, I think trauma, I, I was, trauma, I think some people may grasp onto paranormal as a way of a, maybe as a coping mechanism, perhaps. Yeah, I've, um, I've, yep. I've spoken to, uh, I've spoken to people I've been working with who have seen apparitions, who are these people uh, of, a of a loved one they've lost, deep in grief. I believe when somebody is uh, held down by grief, I believe connections with the per person that they've lost in the paranormal realm or that experience connects to that type of um, trauma and stress. I believe stress can definitely alter our perception of reality. Are we may believe things or sense things that are really not there, or um, maybe become very anxious, panic attacks perhaps, maybe a 
an element of that or a factor. Um, I'd say a lot of, I think uh, more recently, a lot of people are using pseudo healing or maybe that's just a term, it's called pseudo healing. They're using um, psychedelics as an altered state. So uh, perhaps somebody is suffering from some type of trauma in they li their life. They may even reach out to something that will actually alter their state of reality to perhaps deal with the traumas. And perhaps even if it's not just a, an immediate trauma, it could be trauma from childhood, just stress all above. And during yeah. those times, of course, during, during traumatic events, uh, there is a degree of dissociation. While dissociation can be a natural response uh, of our psyche to protect itself or to deal with the reality, uh, during such stressful conditions, uh, dissociation can be uh, um, amplified. And during just those times, it is possible to perceive the reality through, through a different lens. And so interesting that you have mentioned the um, LSD, for example, that the people are trying to cope with their traumas this way by going uh, um, this route, trying LSD, so different like psilocybin, psilocybin, right? What yes, psilocybin. Uh, the, the Mars yeah. psilocybin, right. <laughs> Uh, what happens is that um, I see I can't even pronounce it, and now you can tell <laughs> that I've never taken that. Okay, psilocybin, right? Um, so uh, that can even alter perception on a totally different level. And I know a lot of people are also going um, to Amazons to the shamans and trying um, something is called ayahuasca by drinking some concoction and um, going to a uh, total uh, physical, um, I can't say really collapse, but inability to move. However, the, they have an extreme uh, visual, uh, visuals um, and hallucinations that they have, they do have commonalities and uh, they claim that um, they can heal themselves this way. So this is very interesting. While we talk about the apparitions, people on purpose take uh, this kind of substances in order to cause those kinds of hallucinations in the hope to get to some sort of spiritual awakening. Uh, so that's very interesting. Um, then we would see that what is what is reality like for example if all those people during the ayahuasca process if they take the same substance in the majority of them actually they report the same visions of the big giant snake so there's a saying that we all lose our minds uh, individually, but we cannot really lose our mind in a crowd. So that would be like a crowd effect, right? You take that uh, substance and then, uh, uh, <laughs> and then you're experiencing something in the crowd with other people next to you, right? And not necessarily at the same time, you have to go to the jungles because your body cannot cope with that concoction. And uh, by, trying to get on a different level of um, spiritual development uh, than the jungle suffer from your inability to hold yourself physically as well. <laughs> so the interesting, that's a very interesting process that uh, people actually uh, uh, use the substances in order to cope with the stress that they have. Um, and then the question 
comes up, what is the reality there? For those people that I've spoken who um, went through that process of ayahuasca, for those people, that's a real tangible process and they have had incredible um, spiritual manifestations that altered their lives sometimes profoundly and have changed the course of their lives. So what is the reality? What is good and what is not? It is like you said, Dr. Sherry, it is really subjective. What works on our own personal level. This is my understanding. And I think anyone under the, not spell, let me try to put a different word here. When you're using a <laughs> yeah, exactly. type of, <laughs> type of um, experience outside of yourself to get clarity, you're, it, I would suggest that it makes you very suggestible. Because you, if you have the belief in that something will change in you, you more than likely will change. So if you believe LSD, mushrooms, excuse me, psychosyllabin, uh, DMT or ayahuasca will change your journey, then if anything you believe in, I believe can give you the power to move forward and transform your experience. I will just call it its own name, mushroom shroomies. You know that? <laughs> we should have all taken some. Give it a shot. <laughs> Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Dr. Sherry, it's uh, uh, Dr. Sherry and I had a very interesting experience once. Uh, I can't say that I've never tried uh, mushrooms, but it actually happened a very um, uh, unexpectedly. Her and I, we were uh, at the party one time. And uh, after the party, we went to the park, right? To Balboa Park, remember here in San Diego, when you were mm -hmm. here. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm having some hallucinations. What is happening with me? The trees are moving all of a sudden. And she's like, Yana, what did you eat at the party? I said, I ate nothing. I found some chocolate in the next room and I just had the, uh, some chocolate. She said, how many pieces did you have? <laughs> I said I had two pieces of chocolate and she said oh my god so she understood immediately what it could mean you know it's California Southern California it's totally normal uh for um to have brownies or uh mushrooms for that regard and different kind of uh, variations and that's what it was and the funny thing and I was laughing after that I was hallucinating and I said well Sherry what is it and she's like, you know, it could be mushrooms. And I'm like, oh my God, what is it? So she told me about it. And at that time we were doing the PhD, we were, <laughs> we were studying, like, my God, what, are we gonna, what am I gonna do? And I said, I need to go to the hospital. And she said, no, you don't. <laughs> and then in my mind, I thought, okay, like which state? How many years? What is it? What are the 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 consequences of that? How many years in prison? What's for possession and everything else? I said, okay, I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm gonna be fine. So what happened? Do you remember? <laughs> we were walking, and I said, okay, I felt so bad that I said I need an angel to come and save me from here. Just take me home to some safe place. And I'm like, okay, I need an angel. Guess what happened after that? I will hope you remember that. So what happened is that, <laughs> what happened is that your friend calls you out of the blue, right? And her name was Angel. Mm -hmm. And it was such a bizarre experience. And it's like, Angel, please take us home. And she came and she took us home. You know, since then I've been really careful tasting anything at the party. 
So <laughs> I'm telling you, it was such an uh, interesting experience. But for me at the time, it was the reality. I saw so many things, so, so many awful things. And the good thing about that experience, in fact, which I'm not suggesting other people do that, please don't. The experience <laughs> is not what I'm advocating for here. Test your chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm going right? <laughs> to be paranoid now at the next party, any chocolate I see. <laughs> well, when you come to California, be careful, you know. <laughs> so, but the good thing happened, uh, actually, uh, for me, uh, for a psychologist, I was able, working with people, I actually was able to understand what people go through in psychosis. And if I didn't have that kind of experience, I would be um, working with people with a, uh, just educational understanding, academic understanding of what is happening with them. By knowing that on a, such an intimate level, by seeing all of those apparitions myself caused by shroomies, that uh, I was able to understand and help people better. So that was uh, one of the funny experiences that I had. So I hope you had uh, a good laugh out of it, but um, um, I, I, I don't suggest uh, uh, for people to go out, of course, and to, to, to try uh, any kind of uh, mind altering substances because it can be also uh, not healthy for certain individuals, especially people with not stable uh, psyches, uh, people for example, with the schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, should they definitely uh, be very careful trying any substances like that. And even if they try to uh, help themselves or seek some sort of spiritual awakening, that has to be really approached with caution. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Having. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. So, now I took us all into just a totally different route. <laughs> now let's get back let's get back people come back come back to the studio come back okay <laughs> i think it's very intriguing because when you take those types of substances you can have a good experience or a bad or a negative so it's exactly, very interesting I remember, in perception of reality i remember that the sherry you told me you understood what was happening and you're like why don't you just enjoy the experience mm -hmm. and i said i can't enjoy it because you what couldn't. i see is so horrible i see demons i see everything and in my understanding that's what it was this was the, the, the demon and there were so many of them and they were running alongside of me 
<laughs> so, you know, that, that that was very difficult. Yeah, it could be a good experience, could be bad. And especially uh, with people with the, um, some problems, psychological problems, uh, it could actually become very detrimental for their health, for psyches, for the mind and, and the body as well. So really should be, uh, whether it's a good trip or a bad trip, it should also always be taken with caution. The idea, not shroomies with caution mm -hmm. the idea should be taken with caution <laughs> uh, yeah no so, that's uh, um, that's a good yeah. point uh even in uh cases that we deal with most people don't uh that we've interviewed over the past 26 years haven't really disclosed a whole lot about their illicit drug use uh but even just prescription medications uh we just had a case just last week where a gentleman um his wife passed away in January and shortly after that he started to uh, see her in the apartment building and um, we found out that he had been put on a ton of medications uh, all which have possible side effects of hallucinations um, so we recommended that he uh, have a med review done by a pharmacist because sometimes, uh, well, I know up here in Canada anyway, when the doctors, you come in with a, you know, a nerve pain in your neck and then an upset stomach, you know, the doctor will prescribe you a medication based on um, your symptoms. But sometimes in totality, all the medications that you're taking, they don't really pay attention to that. And the pharmacist knows the chemical uh, biological process a lot better usually. So um, we did, that was one of our recommendations is that he goes for uh, a med review, um, just because he had never experienced anything paranormal before this. And then now all of a sudden, uh, he's put on all these medications that do have, uh, uh, symptoms of, uh, or possible symptoms of hallucination side effects. So, um, yeah, it is something that you have to be cognizant of and then there's other people that will microdose uh you know with psilocybin or uh take drugs to alter their state of consciousness to help open up their psychic abilities and there's been some studies uh done of that where people will actually you know uh become more psychic on on substances so it's uh it's a fine line i think like like you guys both said uh it depends on how how you react to it some people have a good experience with it and some people don't I think I lost you guys for a few seconds and um, I'm back. Uh, definitely. Did you ask me a question or something? It's just uh, the nope. silence. Oh, you didn't ask nope. me. Okay. No, we didn't ask questions. <laughs> Why not? I don't think she ever came out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> ask me questions, guys. Yeah, just two seconds and I lost it. It was years back. It was years back, yeah. So for sure, for sure, some medications can actually cause um, hallucinations with uh, dopaminogenic agents, antidepressants, and corticosteroids. I know just uh, with a um, recent case, one of the patients, in fact, she was an older lady, and she uh, had dementia. Uh, and with the medications, the steroids that she was taking, uh, she started to develop hallucinations. And she started seeing all of her um, dead relatives. Uh, and of course, at the beginning, it was very uh, um, um, concerning to the family. But uh, later, they started laughing at that because there's nothing that they could do, not laughing at her, but actually not being so concerned and um, 
uh telling her this is not the truth because for the person who is experiencing that even medications or not uh th that is the reality and it is impossible to tell the person no this is not what you're seeing if that is their reality then uh, somehow we have to be able to approach them differently with more compassion of course, but uh, if we go to those investigations and we uh, understand that some people can see those separations uh, or they are perceiving something that other people are not, uh, it's uh, absolutely important to look at the medical history somehow uh, and be able to determine the cause of it. Yeah, no, that's... Uh... That, that's a very good point. Uh, Dr. Punch, I'm interested in... Um asking you about uh, your experience in, in believers. So there's been some parapsychological studies that have been done, uh, which shows that believers uh, tend to experience paranormal phenomena more so than skeptical individuals. Um, what would you say about the cognitive process uh, involving that of a believer versus skeptic? Why do you think that believers experience um, you know, uh, in this instance, paranormal phenomena more so than a skeptic would? Well, I think anything we're uh, unwilling to uh, go against that's not aligned with our own belief, it's going to be very difficult for us to believe. I think it, that brings us back to that confirmation bias. So if, if I don't believe in something, I'm, I'm going to be skeptical that you can believe that. So if I don't believe that people can see ghosts or hear things or see things, I'm going to be very skeptical to believe that because personally it may not be something that I experience. So cognitively um, from a cognitive perspective, it's, it's cognitive is about, I look at it as like perception and how do you perceive? So as a believer, you're going to be more apt to believe in it. And as a skeptic, you're just, you're not going to, I think if so, critical, go ahead. No, no, it, it makes me wonder if, uh, like if skeptical people are actually experiencing anything that's unusual, but they're, they're somehow rationalizing it away, uh, you know, because like you said, it, it goes against your, your belief. So you're not going to be exactly on board with that perception. You're going to try and talk yourself out of it and say, you know, I must have just saw something out of the corner of my eye or I didn't sleep very well last night. And, you know, so it's, it's really interesting that you, uh, that you mentioned that. I, I think that's, that's really important. And I think that some people who do not believe will also find things to debate. They will look out and, and, and find like maybe another podcast that will debunk someone who's in the paranormal. They will actually seek out these types of things. I think maybe this brings up the topic of intuition and how do you, because sometimes you'll be faced with something and is it like, am I really in fear or is this intuition? Can you both elaborate a little bit more on intuition? Well, intuition, uh, so it's funny. I don't really consider myself to be psychic or a medium at all, but I, I do feel like I have pretty good intuition. I was a police officer for 15 years, so you have to have some intuition as a police officer. Yeah. Or you're going you're gonna to get yourself in trouble. Um, but, I mean, just there'd be situations like you pull a car over, um, they weren't necessarily doing anything crazy. There was just, you kind of get that vibe you call it, or that spider sense, uh, that they would refer to. You pull the car over, you check their license, you'd start kind of going through some process and there'd just be something that's not sitting right with you 
intuition wise and uh somehow you get a you know a lead to investigate a little bit further and i know one time uh the guy had 50 stolen identifications in the back of his trunk and it turned into this massive fraud investigation where i ended up working on it for like six months and it was all just from a, a simple traffic stop and then um i tell my wife all the time uh i stopped going against my gut feeling because i'll get a gut feeling and i'll do the complete opposite and i usually pay the price for it so what i started doing is if i got a inkling or you know that intuition i i go with it now rather than try and go against it because every time i do go against it it usually turns out to be a stupid decision so um i do think yeah i, I do think uh, you know intuition is uh, is very important and it it would be interesting uh you would be more of an expert on that part but from the uh, perception and the cognitive perspective from that what's what would your take be on intuition intuition um i believe is when you feel intuition it shouldn't be of anxiety it should be a feeling of calm it should be a feeling of knowing uh, i think that's where the cognitive process and that perception can can be altered so we may we may like uh, yana said earlier disassociate with what's going on in our mind so as you're saying you may have a gut feeling but you may not act on it so I think it's uh, in the cognitive process, it's just a matter of your perception and being in tuned or attuned. And, mm. uh, but I think that takes work. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I, I agree with you there. Like there was lots of times I, like I said, I would go against my intuition and then I'd be wrong or, you know, things would get messed up and then I'd be fixing a problem. Whereas if I had, you know, followed my intuition, everything would have been fine. So, um, so it took me it took me a little while to learn that lesson, but I, I follow it now. Now you have the courage. Fantastic. Yes. And when it comes to me, like like uh, same as what you described, it's not like anxiety. It's just like, you know, I got a feeling maybe I you know shouldn't do this, or I got a feeling like I should do this. It's just kind of like, more like you said, it's like a sense of knowing, or almost like you feel like you're being directed one way, and you should follow that because if you don't, there could possibly be consequences, kind of thing. Yeah. And with the intuition, I believe that what is intuition? Intel, meaning being in God, uh, receiving some sort of uh, understanding uh, that is not of your cognitive abilities, doesn't come from you. And ladies and gentlemen, we're having this conversation on intuition, on perception and memory in the connection to the paranormal on the United Public Radio Network, 107.7 FM from a beautiful New Orleans, where our special guest, Dr. Sherry, is from right now. And this interesting topic of intuition, I believe that we should be listening to it. However, how do we distinguish whether that's an intuition or some sort of uh, um, thing that affected our perception? Like, for example, yesterday we saw a movie, um, explosion of the bus, for example, right, in some city. And then today uh, we see the same kind of, um, we see the highway and there's a bus and we're thinking, oh, it might explode, for example, right? So how do we know? How do we know how to act in situations like that, whether it's our perception, uh, 
um, that was affected by the external factors? Or is there our intuition that we have to act upon it immediately to save people, for example, right? So how do we know that, Dr. Sherry? How do we, we know? Have, yeah, how do we know? Well, I think cognition has to do with reason. Intuition is without, it's without reason. So I would just say anytime there's an intuitive feeling and that you're in tuned, when you make the decision to go with your intuition, it should feel good as though it's a knowing and it should feel uh, you should be at peace. However, if you're not at peace, there may be some type of cognitive distortion going on within. And it that may be so because, incredibly sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe fear. And that's, you know, what is there's real fear. Well, rational fear, irrational fear. And I think a lot of times irrational fear causes us to feel like we have a gut feeling. Yeah, it's not really the intuition that's more fear-based. Hmm, that's interesting. What's um, what's your take on deja vu? That feeling that you've already experienced something in the present uh, situation. I know, you know, scientifically, um, we haven't really come to a formal, finalized conclusion of what deja vu is. What what's your beliefs on that, Doctor Doctor Sherry? From a from a psychological perspective, I believe it. I would say it's most likely parts of the unconscious tapping is bringing to light something that we want to have to see. I'm not really familiar. I've experienced what you're speaking of. Uh, I don't know if you could ever scientifically prove it, which probably makes it so beautiful that way that you can't scientifically prove it. Because there's an element about scientifically proving things that takes away the essence of that part of what that experience is. So when you add science to something, I think it kind of jades something. Deja vu cognitive wise, I think it has to do with um, something beneath the surface coming out. Yeah, because uh, most, pe most people have probably experienced it, whether it's uh, you're talking to somebody and you're like, I, I felt like I've had this exact conversation before or uh, you know, you're experiencing something and, and you know it's your first time experiencing it, but all of a sudden that deja vu kicks in and you're like, I feel like I've done this before. It's uh, it's such a strange feeling that, you mm -hmm. know, happens to a lot of people and, and just very spon spontaneously. Yes. Um, it, and it seems to, I had a, mm -hmm. it seems to trigger some sort of similarity or familiarity that you've experienced before. Yeah. A connection. You know, guys, mm -hmm. I've been pondering this question for quite some time, the idea of the deja vu, because I've been recording uh, my dreams since I was 16. And but the moments of deja vu, every time that I would have it, and I had it quite often over the years, I would go back and search my dream book. And surely enough, a year or two, or even several years before that, I would see this, this exact scene in my dreams. And of course, uh, uh, it takes uh, diligence to record your dreams, uh, doesn't matter how bizarre they are. But at the same time, for myself, I was able to answer that question that I had already seen that before. Whatever that situation was already described or written in some, in some sort of a parallel field, uh, like, for example, we uh, people talk about the Akashic Records. Akashic Records, in my understanding, is nothing else than this big uh, cloud where we store all, all of our information, right? My information is in a cloud. Um, <laughs> so 
it is uh, when we think about it. Uh, there was a movie with the um, Rambo, the last Rambo. Remember the guys that uh, he was uh, already in his seventies, and his son says that, "Oh, I already have this information. It's in the cloud." It's like, look there, which cloud? You know. <laughs> so all of that information is written in the cloud, and the, the cloud is essentially all of that massive uh, storage of information that we can tap into and get some information. So I remember one time, it was uh, how many years ago? Probably about seven years ago, when the movie The Accountant, Accountant came out. And I went to the movies with a friend of mine, and I, as I was watching the movie, I was just... Uh, telling him all the time in the ear it, during the movies that this is going to happen now, already seen it. And, and the, um, this scene is going to come after this scene. So he got so frustrated. He's like, stop telling me that. And I said, this is incredible. They say it's a new movie when this is an old movie and I've seen it before. So hmm. when the movie was over and I realized that it was just made and in my understanding that I had already seen that movie before, probably 10 or 15 years earlier, it started me thinking that where did I actually see this information? And I started digging in my dream book. And surely enough, some of the pieces of that movie I already saw and I recorded that in detail 10 years earlier. So for me, it is the, uh, the ability to tap into some sort of the information Information, uh, informational cloud, we will be uh, speaking with the modern terminology. Uh, we're tapping into something that is giving us the glimpse into things that are going to come in the future. So that has been my work. And of course, uh, what do we do? It's a phenomenological study of your own self, right? Of your own dreams. And uh, how do you come to a certain understanding? And for me, that's what it was. It's something that we had already seen. Okay, what is a deja vu? Something that we had already seen. And seen where? Perhaps in our dreams. So if we are more attuned to ourselves, if we're more listening to ourselves that we've been discussing the uh, intuition, then we will be more uh, understanding more of the certain phenomena that is seemingly unexplained as it is right now, even by the science. So what that is not explained by the science, you know, we ourselves can um, draw the line between certain observations that we uh, have had and the phenomenon. Mm, I'm yeah, passing no, the microphone to Dr. Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, I, yeah, I, I agree with you, what you're saying. I was actually thinking about um, when you were talking about that, it was, uh, uh, kind of triggering a, another uh, thought about um, the hypnotic regression, uh, which I know uh, you have experience with, Dr. Yana, and uh, just how sometimes false memories can kind of come up during, you know, hypnosis and, and things like that. And I'm wondering from Dr. Sherry what the cognitive process is with respect to that, uh, getting false memories drawn out of uh, hypnosis. Why do you think that happens? What what happens with the brain in that process? I think Yana touched on it earlier when she says that he used the word disassociation. I think uh, there could be a false memory. There could be a trauma there. So perhaps a disassociation or um, something that would bring comfort 
in a stressful situation? Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. Uh, just something that Yana said, it kind of triggered me to think about that. I know I did a, a memory presentation uh, during uh, one of my master's programs, and um, there was a point in time, uh, it was during, uh, I want to say like the 70s, when um, the APA, the American Psychological Association, had to put out uh, a notice uh, for counselors to be cognizant of when they are doing hypnosis uh, with sex assault victims, because there was a lot of uh, false memories coming up during that period. And uh, of course, hypnosis is also used in the paranormal as well. Um, you know, different paranormal phenomena use it, such as uh, recounting memories with alien abductees, for example, hypnosis is used quite a bit uh, there also with uh, past life regression work as well. Um, so it's it's something that uh, you have to be cognizant of as well in in the field of paranormal about you know false memories. But but again, I, like that's the way I feel is once you experience or perceive something, your memory almost starts to degrade right away. Uh, you know, especially the more times you tell the story, you might end up elaborating on things, and then that elaboration becomes you know a permanent memory, which might not necessarily have been the way that it had had happened. So. Um, I, I just I find the whole process very fascinating, especially in our line of work, because, uh, you know, as parapsychologists, uh, parapsychology is a, is a social science because we are studying people's lived experiences with the paranormal. That's that's what we're looking at. It's all based on somebody else's, you know, experience, usually a spontaneous experience. So, yeah, very, very fascinating. And when you work with a parapsychology. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. There's a, a, a branch of psychology. It's called anonymalistic psychology, where they try to bring in the scientific uh, principles. What do you think of that? Is that is that in relation to paranormal? Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, so it, that kind of started to pop up in the in the late two thousands. Um, that and transpersonal uh, psychology, because transpersonal psychology kind of takes a uh, spiritual approach um, to uh, the psychological processes. Um, but yes, uh, those two terms, um, there's, you know, a few universities that have uh, programs in anomalistic psychology, transpersonal psychology, and that does kind of fall along the lines of parapsychology because okay. in um, universities now, there's not really, you might find the odd course here and there that's a parapsychology type course, but uh, there's not a whole lot of places doing a full-on degree in parapsychology. In fact, one of the only spots is really the University of Edinburgh um, where you can do your uh, graduate degree in psychology, but you could uh, specialize in parapsychology, usually under Dr. Carolyn Watt, uh, who runs the, the Kessler Parapsychology Unit. Um, but anomalistic psychology, psychology yes, uh, does deal with the paranormal and paranormal beliefs. So anyone that's you know interested in in kind of pursuing more academic education in the paranormal, that would be one one road to go for sure. Okay. Um, I always say as well, like you, you never know what skill set comes in handy with the paranormal. Like certainly if you have a background in physics that can come, you know, in handy trying to explain certain things. Um, I actually had an investigator that was a HVAC heat pump technician. And you'd think, oh, what's somebody that installs heat pumps know, you know, about the paranormal. <laughs> but he was actually very good because we'd get videos of uh, objects like uh, a balloon, for example, moving very strangely. It would float and then it would duck underneath um, 
the beam and then it would continue on almost like somebody would perceive it as if like a child was you know carrying that balloon or a ghost child was carrying that balloon and uh, he explained that even though the heat pump was turned off at the time there's still air currents and they can still circulate around uh, an environment for you know x amount of time so you just never know what skill set could actually be used uh you know in a paranormal investigation Absolutely. And also, if you remember in the late 1900s, 19, I believe it was 1998, uh, the Coventry University, there was an interesting study done uh, when some people at the lab were experiencing some paranormal events or some apparitions where they were experiencing uh, being touched, for example, or something being said to them, whispered into their ear. And turns out to be, after the investigation, that it was nothing but the low frequency sound emitting from the fan. It was actually mm. the, uh, the fan that did not have any noise. However, it was producing a low frequency noise that was below 20 hertz. And for some people, of course, it's not the, it's it, it, it's inaudible for most people. However, for some uh, very sensitive people, they can uh, hear that, and in them, it can cause fear, hallucinations, and uh, um, audio hallucinations. So, what happens is we perceive something that would be outwardly, when in fact, as you said, you never know we uh it's very important even to speak to physicists to engineers about that so the engineer actually had found that it was just a fan and as soon as the fan was removed all of this uh um apparitions uh, and uh, outwardly experiences disappeared so there are instances that the uh, um uh, serious instances of haunting that, that we cannot disregard that, of course, but uh, we should also be able to uh, stop and think, okay, like, what is causing that? But if we don't know anything about it, then we won't be able to pinpoint. And who in the world will be going and thinking about frequencies? You know, that the, I remember that once I was listening to something on YouTube, one of those uh, um, meditation uh, uh, channels, and I thought, okay, like I'm going to relax right now and I'm going to listen to it. Turns out to be that particular meditation for about 20 minutes that I was uh, listening to had a low frequency uh, tone. And that caused nearly paranoia in me. I became so fearful. Something happens like, oh my God, I feel so bad. I'm possessed something is touching me you know and then i thought all right like what is it and i started investigating and in the fine print it said that there's a low frequency noise added to it evidently they thought it would be some has some healing properties for me it was the opposite it was the paranormal thoughts so um also that could be a factor in us perceiving something outwardly yeah, absolutely. Uh, infrasound is one of the, uh, you know, the new kind of environmental factors that have been popping up, uh, you know, in paranormal research and, and investigation. It can cause uh, psychological impacts like you kind of described, um, you know, for some people, obviously, that might have been like a relaxing meditation to listen to. But for other people, it could have caused them, 
you know, feeling uneasy or um, another common, uh, you feel like somebody's watching you is another kind of common symptom that people report with low frequency sounds. Um, they've done experimental studies as well and uh, it can affect people's human emotions and perceptions and that's probably why somebody you know had made that to, for meditation because for some people it works some people it doesn't so um, that's definitely another kind of environmental factor that you you have to consider um, i would say most uh, paranormal investigators you know on the uh, the citizen scientists i would say are probably not looking at infrasound we we did actually with our organization, Paranormal Phenomena Research Investigation, about an infrasound machine, um, but we have to uh, we have to take a, a look at it and, and see how to use it. It comes with a particular software, and we have to become familiar with it before we we start using it. But it has been used to detect, for example, uh, somebody was experiencing a haunting in. Uh, one location and when they use the infrasound machine they actually were able to find out that there was an elevator in an apartment building just next door and every time that elevator was operating it was giving off uh infrasound that was affecting the house and uh causing them to experience uh haunting characteristics so it's definitely something that is uh becoming more and more out in the in the open and in the in the literature Yeah, and I think everyone's individual cognitive processes is unique. And I think that it's what makes people more susceptible or suggestible in the variation of all of our experiences. Well, yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you. I think, like you said, somebody, you and I could even experience things differently or different sounds could affect us and and we would perceive a situation differently. And yeah, it's, it's you're right, it's it's individually based. It's fascinating. It is, yeah. It, it's really fascinating, especially, uh, you know, like I go back to the police training when they get the instructor to come into the classroom and have us 32 police officers that are uh, considered to be expert witnesses or will be expert witnesses when they start going and testifying in court, you know, uh, experience 32 people experience something different. But in wow. reality, only one, you know, one thing happened. Um, so yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's a fascinating <laughs> phenomena for sure. Absolutely. I would like to, um, come back a little bit into this infrasonic, uh, um, sounds and, uh, elaborate on that a little bit. Have you noticed that all of that, all of those perceptions, all of those experiences were actually, um, actually took place when people were unaware of when they were, um, can't say really in a relaxed state of mind, but this state of unawareness and unexpectedness uh, actually played uh, a huge factor in it. Like for example, they um, those people uh, with the elevator situation, they did not uh, expect the elevator to affect them in any way nevertheless subconsciously there was this sound that would affect them on everyday basis right yeah exactly and, and so um, whenever the uh whenever the elevator was operating they wouldn't have even heard the frequency it would have been uh too low for them to even hear so they would have wouldn't have even thought that the elevator next door was affecting them so is this something yeah, that you, you sound, is it something that's tapping into the unconscious is that what you're saying these sounds are 
I personally, th I think there's a, a physiological effect to it. Um, I think that the low frequency that we can't hear in some instances can cause people to um, experience some sort of sensation or a perception. And a lot of the common things with infrasound, which is that sound that we just can't hear, it's just at a frequency that we as humans can't hear. It can cause some physical effects like nausea, dizziness, uh, blurred vision, but it can also cause feelings of uh, being watched or fear, dread, uh, different things like that. So um, I, okay. I, I think it's it's more like a physiological response and a psychological response as well to, uh, to sounds. It is a physiological hear. and psychological. Everything yeah. that you're describing, uh, Dr. Elliot, is actually was experienced um, by the people in American embassy in uh, um, Cuba. Mm. Uh, where they believed to be used, uh, um, they were subjected to the use of the ultrasonic uh, waves. That's right. And yes, there was a uh, there was confusion. There was a uh, cognitive disturbances and the physical uh, part. It was very difficult for those people to even comprehend their reality. And besides, it wasn't just one person. It was the entire embassy, and. Uh, the study was done by the people uh, years after the event when they were taken home already. They applied for disability. However, they could not receive the disability in the United States because that was not accepted widely. Of course, that they were affected by the ultrasonic weapons. Uh, in just a recent release, uh, uh, the investigation said that um, there was no ultrasonic weapon used on uh, uh, the embassy. However, if we just look at that, everything that you just described, and of course that if just regular citizens here or separate citizens can, ex can experience that, imagine if that was used as a weapon against the nations, if it was used against the embassy there, imagine if it was the city and town, and that is uh, used in the military. Uh, as well. So if we think that, uh, oh, we can down, we can become skeptics and uh, things like that uh, don't happen, or the low frequency or uh, ultrasonic weapons, um, there's something extraordinary, then we have to think again and to read more research on that and to understand that a lot of things can affect our mind and our psyche and uh, not necessarily it would be something outwardly that we're not actually seeing the parallel worlds uh, so there's so many factors that need to be ruled out before we actually uh, understand that oh yes here is what I'm seeing this is an apparition and this is a valid objective apparition of something that is just manifested in front of me so that um, so many factors that need to be taken into the account no I, I agree yeah really interesting like for example, with the, in the case of sleep paralysis, if we look at that, there's so many tales uh, now circulating over the internet and also in books with a sleep paralysis uh, when it is actually uh, um, physiological response uh, in the state of REM uh, when people are just not able to move at the time and it causes terror in them when they see something awful see, sitting on them. Uh, that, in the from the scientific perspective, it is nothing else uh, but the, uh, the trick that our mind plays uh, in the state of REM when we're trying to fall asleep or just waking up. 
and of course, uh, uh, there are different explanations of that, uh, uh, that we have different kinds of entities sitting on us and uh, trying to take advantage of us and stuff like that. So while for some people, it would be who were experiencing that, including myself when I experienced that. I said, oh my God, there's a huge entity sitting on me and I'm not able to get up. And uh, I had such a terrible sense of dread. Like, my God, what is happening here? I've never seen And all of a sudden, uh, here I am, a modern person uh, experiencing mm. some entity sitting on me. Uh, it was so frightening, but it felt so real. So how can we disregard a situation like that? And of course, uh, it causes all different kinds of explanations and not the only than the perspective from the uh, sleep disorder uh, perspective. So when yeah, well, like uh, like the three of us talked about, you know, earlier tonight uh, to you, that was, you know, a very real ex uh, experience. If uh, Dr. Sherry or I were in the room, we might not have necessarily seen the same thing that, that you were seeing. Um, I know one uh, neuroscientist kind of explanation for that is that the sleep paralysis can happen um, when the brain awakes rapidly from the rapid eye movement uh, sleep stage uh where the body's still paralyzed and and the body paralyzes itself during sleep so that we don't act out our dreams um in fact uh, i had surgery this year it was kind of ironic i had some surgery this year and they gave me um hydromorphone uh as the painkiller and so i had taken it and um i get like really pretty wild uh dream sometimes because of my my policing career so anyway i had this dream that i was chasing a suspect and that i had to like jump on him and tackle him and i actually threw myself at a bed and i woke myself up because my dog uh sleeps next to me so he growled because he was like i woke him up and he growled at me and then sarah woke up because she heard a big thud and <laughs> I, I woke up because I didn't know what was going on. I was just on the floor and I, and I started thinking about it. I said, Oh, the last thing I remember is I was dreaming about chasing, you know, the suspect and I had to jump, but I must've physically ju jumped out of bed. Um, you know, so that was a very quick, now I didn't like wake up and see like the, the bad guy from my dream or anything like that. But that was obviously a case where I was in a very deep, deep sleep. And then all of a sudden, um, my body, for whatever reason, maybe the morphine didn't paralyze itself, and I almost hurt myself by by throwing myself out of the bed. So, um, you know, I've certainly experienced something like that, but I could only imagine. I have interviewed people that have uh, experienced sleep paralysis and have seen, um, you know, they've reported demons or shadows or entities, um, and I can only imagine how, you know, frightful that would be because you would really be experiencing that. Mm -hmm. But then the question comes up, guys. The question comes up. Why do we see bad things? Why do we see demons? Why can't we during that time, if we're normal human beings with a positive outlook on life, why don't we see uh, good positive beings bringing us flowers, for example, or a cake or a birthday cake or something like that? Why does it have to be such a frightening experience? I don't know if Dr. Sherry has an answer, but I'm always puzzled by by the mind because, um, you know, we've survived for a long time and we've got, uh, you know, natural instincts built built within us because 
of uh, you know evolution and and because we've evolved you know for so many years. But I still find it interesting that given how far we've come and how much we've evolved, is our mind is like our biggest enemy. Our mind is always trying to tear us down. It's always trying to provide doubt to us. It's always, you know, uh, self-talking to us in a, in a very negative way. And um, I just I just can't understand that for a, a species that has survived for so long. You think that the mind, um, you know, would have evolved, but... Uh, for whatever reason, it, it likes to produce a lot of negative, you know, thoughts. And so, I mean, that, that could be possibly one, one reason why we experience negative things. I just, the mind is just very negative sometimes. Um, I don't know, Dr. Well, Sherry, do you have anything to... Well, I believe that um, we do have, I believe the mind has evolved tremendously. I don't think that we, the primitive mind, the, the mid, the, our reptilian brain has the ability to, to perhaps keep up. Um, because our social construction, our environment teaches us different things. I think the fears we used to have, have to have, our survival instincts are no longer needed. So I think it's just become um, confused as, maybe confused is not the right terminology here. However, I think we have a lot of irrational fear that we deal with on a daily basis. And if we don't learn how to deal with those things, they may come up in our dreams. That may just be one aspect of that. That's very fascinating. I don't know about you guys, you know, but I'm a very positive human being. I don't have those kind of experiences, you know. Everything is so nice and positive. And <laughs> I'm smelling roses. <laughs> roses. Right? Like nothing. What what's wrong with you guys? Some pathological experiences. What's wrong with you? I'm so good at think it's so positive and nice well of course that's not the case but uh, there are some people that of course will be talking about it saying well if i'm such a good uh, human being and the positive what kind of irrational fears are you talking about dr sherry what irrational fears i don't have any rational fears you know uh and then for example that the the same speaking about surgeries of course <laughs> we're not going to be talking about all surgeries that we've ever had but the of one of them that i remember uh on the positive note for example i remember that um i was so worried about the outcome that uh, I asked all of the nurses and a the doctor there, I said, all right, let, let's just pause and uh, pray. And uh, I was so surprised at the time that in Southern California, they actually stopped and they prayed. And it wasn't just because of me. And I thought, you know, they're just going to disregard it completely, that nothing like that exists. And uh, that's the doctor. And <laughs> surely enough, he doesn't believe in anything like that. They all stopped. And of course, the surgeon's hands, and I said, well, I'm blessing your hands. And he accepted that. He accepted that, thankfully and gratefully, because for him, that was something uh, acceptable from his culture. And he was uh, uh, the doctor from India as well. And they uh, understand the power of the blessing in this regard. Of course, we here also understand the power of blessing, and I'm not suggesting that. But he was readily accepting it without uh, suggesting that it is so inappropriate we can't talk about it here and the interesting thing that happened is that um i don't know whether it was a power of suggestion or part of a thought i remember as i was dozing off i saw two light not two four light beings surrounding me 
with the nurses and with the doctors, but this is the last thing I remember that they stood right around me and there were nurses around as well. So just uh, unlike you guys, I'm really positive. We're really nice and positive experiences. <laughs> <laughs> so much negativity come on we just have to lighten up a little bit there are good things in life as well uh, <laughs> such a great conversation we're having here i'm enjoying it immensely we are um i think that the, we are out of time right now we have been uh, with Dr. Sherry, Dr. Sherry Parsh, she's a clinical psychologist, and we've been discussing the incredible topic of memory, perception, and uh, the paranormal, and with incredible Dr. Elliot, and not less incredible myself. <laughs> so you have to praise yourself. You have to praise yourself because you will never hear that from other people. <laughs> You're sitting there not saying anything about me. I think uh, I think you were the highlight of the night with your <laughs> trip on the psilocybin. That uh, that made my night. That made my night. See, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 That. The, um. And that not that, that was a very scary. You know, that was a very scary experience. And uh, uh, Sherry, Sherry, you remember that it was so bad. It was so bad for me. Yeah, it was scary. That, that was scary. So you see, so that's, that, that's the one time that you don't surround yourself with positivity. Then is when you're when you're on the psilocybin. <laughs> that's exactly. when your demons come out. Exactly, that's my demons come out, and that's I will never do that again. <laughs> that that was that <laughs> felt really bad. In fact, <laughs> and all of the warnings, like the Sherry, that you gave me. Oh, just enjoy it. I couldn't. I wanted to get back into my head right away immediately so instead of four hours that it usually takes you know it took me just two hours and i came back i came back to myself i shoved my my senses my intellect everything else back into my head and i put myself together you know i was back to normal again so <laughs> i hope that we can meet again and have this uh, uh similar incredible uh conversation again on a different different topic next time. Uh, so we have been live on the United Public Radio Network, 107.7 FM, streaming from Louisiana, from beautiful New Orleans. And we've been here with Dr. Elliot and Dr. Sherry and Dr. Yana. And we hope to see you again next week. Good to see you. Yes, thank, night, thank you everybody. very much, Dr. Uh, Dr. Punch. Thank you. Grateful for the experience. Thank you. Good night from New Orleans. Thank you. Good night. Have a good night, guys. Bye. You too.